Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this day. And may the name of the Lord be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to introduce to you today, uh, Andrea and David Murphy. And of course, David plays for the Texas Rangers. Uh, matter of fact, he's kind of been Mr. Clutch the last few years uh, since he's come uh, to the team. And if if you've watched I mean, well, if you've watched any Texas Ranger baseball, uh, then you, you've seen David and you've watched him play. And what you might not know is that he is a follower of Christ and a, a deeply devoted family man. And I, I really had the privilege of visiting with him a little bit uh, over the phone and just kind of hearing his story. And so I was very, very encouraged. And so I want to invite uh, David, if you and Andrew would come on up at this time and just have a seat and allow me to ask you guys a few questions this morning. Well, David, let's start with with you here. By the way, Andrea, actually, you grew up here in Flower Mountain. Is that correct? Yes, I did. And graduated from Marcus? Yes, sir. In oh, 2000. There you go. Yeah. Uh, they're both also Baylor grads, and so there you go. Um, but with that said, David, give us a little bit of uh, insight uh, on being a Christian in the clubhouse and what that's been like for you as a, as a Texas Ranger. Um, it's, it's always a challenge, obviously, in a world like professional sports. Um, you know, it's going to be geared more toward the world than toward Christ. And, um, I think the challenges were more so early on in my career. Um, as a younger player, um, you want to show your faith, but also you want to fit in with the, with the guys and with the team. And at, at times when I was younger, um, you know, I let I let that other side play out a little bit more. So um, it's been nice as I as I've matured, as I've gotten older. Um, you know, I think naturally I've become more of a leader in that sense. And um, you know, I'm not the the big. T- I, I guess if you look at a guy like Josh Hamilton, he is um, he's a little bit more over the top. Um, and it's just it's simple for him to he, he speaks so much um he does a great job of, of sharing his faith with with everybody um I, I would describe myself as a little bit more quiet lead by example type but um it's been awesome to um i don't know just to to see the way our, our team has changed a little bit um and just to, to try to minister to those guys okay um Real quick, if you would, I know Andrew had a, a great big part of this, but tell us your story, how you came to Christ and kind of how you came to the place that you are today spiritually. Uh, I guess just a little bit of a background. I, I grew up um, in the Catholic Church, um, but basically, to make a long story short, I was never really taught about Christ. I was preached my my entire life. I was preached, go to church, go to church. And, um, you know, I, I went to Baylor University and um, I met Andrea a few weeks into school. We started dating about a month into school, and um, there was just something different about her that I noticed. And um, she even had, you know, she was bold enough on our first date. I mean, she looked me straight in the eye and said, can I ask you a question? Do you believe that you're a Christian? And, I mean, I basically, I was like, you know, I'm a good person. I go to church. Um, yeah, I believe I'm a Christian. And... Um, about a month, a month or so um, after we started dating, uh, we she invited me to a Monday night 
it's kind of like a praise and worship service type thing, and it was called Touchstone. And um, that was kind of the night where really, I mean, God had been working in my heart over the course of those few months, but um, that was kind of the night where I really started to, to see that people around me had something different, had something that I didn't have that I wanted, and I just felt kind of a void in a hole in, a hole in my heart. And um, she could tell something that was different in me that night, something was bothering me. And um, so uh, we went to go get coffee after we're sitting in the parking lot, in, in the Pizza Hut parking lot, actually, next to the coffee shop. And um, after a long talk, and, and basically she prayed with me, and I came to Christ that night. Hmm. Amen. Well, Andrea, let me ask you a question. As a professional baseball player's wife, I mean, that's one of the longer sports, uh, professional sports that there is, and so that's a long season plus spring training. Um, as a uh, as a wife and the wife of a professional player, how do you make that work? How do you make that work on your side? Um, oh, that's a big question. Um, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's not exactly what I signed up for. Um <laughs> You hear about it, and you hear about them being gone. They they have games every day, and um, but what people don't really realize is that when they're home, they're not really home. Um, he in the morning when he's during the season when he's got a game at night, he'll be home just for a few hours, and then he's gone. Um, and I think it's not sorry. I think it's not as hard on me as it is the kids, um, and it's hard for me to watch them go through not having their dad. Um, but he is a he's a great man, and I think he has made it easy on our relationship. Um, just he's very good at communicating, um, and he really goes out of his way to um, to help me in any way he can throughout that season. But it is it's eight months, and I'm I always look forward to the off season. I'm like if I could just get to the end of September or October, he's going to be home. Like most people dream of the weekends, I dream of. Four months in the winter. So <laughs> So what do you guys do uh, to kind of keep teamwork at home to make sure the team at home succeeds? How do you all do it? Give us some tips. Give us some things that you do to make that work with David having the schedule that he does. And y'all can both answer this, by the way. I mean, I think for me, it's uh, first of all, it's communication. Um, I th- obviously, that's key in, in any marriage. But um, as much as I travel, um, I think it's human nature. If if I were if I didn't talk to her on the phone frequently, um, she's gonna her mind's gonna start wandering, wonder what's going on. So uh, I think that's big. We talk on the phone a lot. Um, we Skype. You know, we see each other. I do that with the kids, and. Um, I don't know. I, I just I try to share in as much as I can in the responsibilities. I try to take things um, off of off of her back, whether it be the kids um, or just just lighten her load. Because I mean, there's going to be three months for sure where um, you know if the, if the season is six months. You know, usually they're they're with me for spring training, and spring training is okay because a normal day is kind of like a normal work day since all the games are during the day. Um, but when most games are at night during the season, and the season is going to be six months in the, these past two years, seven, um, there's guaranteed three months where I'm going to be on the road, and she is basically going to be a single mother with with three kids. So 
um, just take whatever responsibilities and lighten her load as much as possible. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, being apart um, really allows for bitterness to grow. Um, you know, especially when I'm at home, and I'm sorry, but I didn't dream of becoming a wife to a professional baseball player growing up. That wasn't my dream. Um, I dreamed about being I, a I think she did. She just didn't know what came with it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's hard. It's hard to see someone getting to um, have their dream job. And my dream job was always being a mom. But at the same time, I had other other things that I felt that God was calling me to, that being at home didn't exactly, wasn't exactly easy to fulfill those. And so sometimes it feels like, not that I'm trapped, but it's hard to see someone else have all this freedom and excitement um, that's his. And it's nice to be able to walk alongside him, but sometimes it's really hard um, just to watch him go through it and me to just be in his shadow a little bit. and I've, that's what I've been dealing with lately. I didn't think I had a lot of pride until, until recently when I started becoming David Murphy's wife. And, <laughs> and it's hard. I mean, it's hard to live in the shadow of somebody else, but it's really hard to live in your husband's shadow. Um, and I think God's just kind of re- revealing that pride that I didn't realize I had. Um, and so I think it's good that we talk about that. Um, because like I said, bitterness will grow and we do. We talk about everything that comes up. There's not anything that we don't talk about. Um, just because we don't wanna we don't want to feel like there's a wall building up. And I think I have to step back and realize that too, because this isn't um this isn't a woman who just signed up for this and um, you know, just wanted to be my sidekick and, you know, take care of my kids. Um, you know, this is a woman who wanted to go to medical school and um her number one dream has always been to be a mom, but um, she was going to become a doctor. And um, we had to talk about this and kind of think long and hard about this and, and realize that if we were going to be married and be together, um, that she was going to have to give that up. So she's given this up for me. And um, I can a lot of times I forget that, but I have to realize uh, I need to think about that more frequently, how, um, you know, this is a smart, ambitious woman who has, been selfless and and does this for me. So if you could break it down to one or two lessons, principles uh, in your marriage that you feel like you are have learned or you are learning right now uh, as a result of really of the, the significant uh, issue that you have to deal with, which is a lot of time apart, what would you say has been the great lesson that you've learned? Let me start with you, Andrea, if I, uh, if I could. What do you feel like I, I'm learning? And I, I mentioned you, I heard you mention the, the pride, would you say that's the biggest lesson you're learning right now, or what would you say? Yes, I mean, the pride, the pride thing is the most current one. Um, but also, for me, um, letting him be who God made him, and not the man that I want to put in a little box, and he can only do what I want him to do, or I think he needs to change things to be who I might think I want in a husband. Um, but God made him special. He made him to be my husband. And even though there's some things I'd like to tweak, um, <laughs> you know, I need to step back and give him that freedom. So um, 
I think that that's huge for me right now, and I think for both of us, really. Yeah, I would I would kind of go along with that and just basically um, say one word, and that's expectations. Hmm. Um, I feel I'm the type of guy I'm I'm kind of a perfectionist in a way, and um, I grew up in a very non-confrontational family, so um, it took me a long time to realize that um, constructive constru- criticism can be constructive. And um, I just always thought that, you know, if we weren't challenging each other or, um, I don't know, getting into little debates or, I don't know, about anything, that things were good because, you know, don't step on each other's toes, that would be fine. And um, I don't know. I mean, just just little things. I, I felt kind of the same way, just putting her in a box. Like, um, I don't know, for instance, I'm a morning person and she's not. So it took me a while to kind of let her be herself, let her, you know, take some time to wake up in the morning instead of me waking up being like, hey, what are we going to do today? Let's go, you know, let's go um, do something kind of like our kids are. I mean, I, I guess I kind of see it in the way that our kids wake up now and be like, mommy, daddy, what are we going to do? go do today? And they wear me out sometimes. So it's probably the same way, same thing I was doing to Andrea. So um, just basically expectations, um, stepping back a little bit, um, letting her be the woman that God made her to be and not um, wanting to, you know, check off every every uh, mark on the list. Last question for you. Um, what do you see God doing uh, on your team or in your sphere right now? Is there, there one thing you say, I really see God at work here? You know, like I said, um, it's very difficult to to analyze in professional sports, but obviously God is everywhere. Um, it can be frustrating at times. Um, I would say there's probably about four or five Christian guys on the team. Um, the only one that I really have trust in is is Josh Hamilton. Um, I told him this year straight up. Um, you're you're the only guy on this team that I can be around and not have my guard up. And um the few other guys that I mentioned, um I believe they understand and I believe that they have accepted Christ, but um they're kinda like I was early on and they have a foot in each world. You know, one of those one of those worlds is obviously the world and one of those is Christ. And um, at a lot of times, they let the world win out uh, because they're a professional athlete and there's so much that the world has to offer right now. And I feel like they don't want to completely give in to Christ. Well, thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, the longest and most comprehensive passage that we have on marriage. And it's interesting as we, uh, I, I really appreciate what Andrea said, and uh, because we also, it's still amazing to me that people have this image of, uh, of a lot of times of celebrities, particularly in Hollywood, and they become the role models. I'm not sure how we got into a culture where we decide that that is our role model uh, as far as marriage goes. But I think of, uh, you know, uh, 
Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore. That one didn't seem to make. Kim Kardashian and uh, Chris Humphreys. Colby and Vanessa. And then the, late, the latest, of course, is uh, Seal and Heidi Klum. And I, I was mesmerized as I read these articles that went something like this. And apparently there's been over a million hits on Facebook. Um, <clears throat> women and men and people crying because Heidi and Seal didn't make it. And I, if that's not love, what chance do any of us have? And I'm, I'm going, really? I said, yeah, you know, and they said they were always kissing and touching each other, you know, and, and they were always seemed so romantic and they always looked so wonderful together. And every year they renewed their marriage vows. I mean, oh, I, I, I just can't believe it. And I mean, I was just, I'm reading this and, and these people are acting like, you know what, what hope do any of us have? if Heidi and Seal can't make it. And I'm thinking, the problem is, is we have this view of marriage that if you're doing real well, you kiss a lot and you hold each other a lot and and that you put a big smile on your face. Well, one of the things I appreciate what David and Andrea just said is uh, there wasn't a smile on their face the whole time. You know what I mean? And that this is hard. You know what? I would argue that that's a healthier marriage than a marriage that looks right on the outside, physically and emotionally and psychologically. And we live in a culture that's much like that. Here, here's the issue. God has biblically given us three institutions. God created three institutions. The first one is marriage, the first institution that he created. It's not man-made. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not man-designed. It was created by God. The second one is the family, and the third one is government. God designed the insti- those three institutions for mankind so that we might be able to live in a manner in which we can experience uh, the grace and the fulfillment uh, that he desired for us to have. And so he set those three institutions up. The problem is when we try to redefine those institutions, particularly that of marriage that we're talking about today. You know, if you go back and you study ancient history or you study history, you'll see there are various different forms of marriage. The first one is the dynastic view. It's the the one that we can go the furthest back and see the most information on. And it was basically the arranged marriage. Our families get together and they decide, okay, uh, you're going to marry her. And it may even be predetermined before birth, shortly after birth or in childhood. And, uh, And it's meant for the social purposes of putting two individuals together so that they are in the proper social class, their family support and structure is made. And so it's one that's worked and been used for thousands of years, and some cultures still use it. Uh, Another type is utilitarian. And by the way, sometimes we look at that and we go, oh, that's just awful. By the way, we look at that dynastic approach. But you know what our culture today is? It's either utilitarian, which is this one. You know what? And some cultures do this. You're going to marry someone who make, takes care of your needs. You want to make sure that you have your physical needs taken care of, your monetary and, and daily things that you need that they're provided for. And, you know, we think that's old-fashioned or we think that's kind of old and crude, but we still have people that make statements like this. Ooh, boy, I, that's the guy. That's the guy dude, he's loaded. I mean, that, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I'm looking for utilitarian mode. That's what I'm looking for. And then there's a modern view of marriage, romance, okay? And what that one is, is, you know what? If you feel something, then marry them. 
somebody who can meet your emotional needs and make you feel passionate, then marry them. The problem is, is you might end up like Kobe and Vanessa, or you end up like uh, Seal and Heidi, or what about when you don't feel it anymore? That's why God designed marriage. And that's why we have Ephesians chapter 5, as well as the book of Genesis, the first couple of chapters, that help us understand the importance and the aspects of biblical marriage. Let's begin here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the Lord's will is this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, right there, and I wish we had time. This is another sermon for another day. But what we learn is, you know what? I can be filled with substances. A lot of people do it all the time. I can be filled with a a substance, and that can control me. matter of fact, when you see the word filled with the Spirit, it literally means to be controlled. What controls you? What voice whispers in your mind? What controls how you act and how you respond? Well, it can be a substance, or it can be selfishness. matter of fact, I would tell you that the fundamental problem that each of us have in our marriage today is selfishness. Or we can be filled by the Spirit. We're going to be filled by one of those three things. We're going to be controlled, which would probably be a better word in our vernacular. We're going to be controlled by one of those three things. Either we're going to be controlled by a substance, we're going to be controlled by our self-sin nature, or we're going to be controlled by the Spirit. The Bible continues here and it says this. It says, speak to one another. And it shows us, it gives us an example of what it looks like if we're being controlled by the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. In other words, the Word of the Lord is richly within you. And it dwells within you. And it even resonates in your heart. It doesn't mean that you're always going around quoting Bible verses. But that the voice and the Spirit that you hear and that controls your life is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks to God. There's another example of what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. That we are thankful and grateful to God. And then lastly it says, uh, to the God who's given us everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence from Christ. Submit to one another. There's the word. The word that makes half of us at least mad. Alright? Submit to one another. What's interesting is found here in verse 21. Uh, you know, some Bibles have put it in another section, have, have dropped it down and made it the other section. R- remember this, that when Paul wrote these letters, he didn't go, okay, chapter 5, verse 1. He didn't, he was writing a letter. We as men have gone back, the authors have gone back and added verses and chapters, okay? This was a letter that was written. So it wasn't supposed to be broken up and like it's a separate letter. He's talking about, you know what, I want you to be controlled by the Spirit in your marriage. Then he's going to go on and he's going to talk about parenting and your job. So we're to be controlled by the Spirit in each of these instances. And he says, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church and of the body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And when he says that in everything, as unto the Lord. Okay, so let me just clarify real quick. First of all, 
let's talk about what submission is, okay? Let me tell you, it, when I, I, some of y'all know I used to be a singles pastor in a previous life. And sometimes I'd be counseling with couples and I'd hear stuff like this. I'd hear a guy come in and he goes, she needs to learn how to submit. I've been telling her what to do and she doesn't submit. She needs to learn submission. And right away I was thinking, you're an idiot. Okay, and so, uh, so let's, let's pull you off. First of all, there's, there's no such thing as forced submission. That would be called slavery. That's not what we're dealing with, okay? And second, we're talking about mutual submission. You are to be a leader in this relationship, but you're not the dictator in this relationship. And so if you have to say that, you ain't leading, buddy, okay? You got the wrong heart. You're not loving her as Christ loved the church. Did you ever hear Jesus say, hey, you got to do what I say. Look what I did. I died on the cross. You got to do what I say. We never see that spirit from Jesus. He didn't demand. He loved in such a way, and he even submitted in such a way that his disciples and his followers found it compelling to be led by him. There's the spirit right there. Let me show you how this works at my house. My wife, because she was raised here in Texas, somehow some of you people that were raised in Texas, you, you find the need that you have this innate desire to have Mexican food like all the time. I don't, I don't know how that happened to you, but like you just, you think you're supposed to eat it multiple times a week, like it's part of a good healthy diet or something. I, I, I don't know where that comes from. I, on the other hand, I can have it two or three times a month and really appreciate it. But if I have it three or four times a week, I got problems. You know what I mean? I, I just, I don't do that. I, on the other hand, I love seafood. Cause I, you know, I grew up co- close to the coast in another state. And I love good seafood. It's got omega-3. and I mean, it's, it's good for you. My wife is not a huge seafood. But you will probably find me from time to time. You'll find me a few times a month at a Mexican restaurant. You know what I'm doing? I'm submitting to my wife. I'm loving my wife. When you see her at Fish City, which is where everyone should be, if they want a healthy diet, my wife is submitting to me. That's what she's doing. If you ever hear me Talk about watching Oprah. I am submitting to my wife because I am loving my wife as Christ loved the church because I don't like Oprah. I know some of you offended right now, but too bad. All right. If my wife is watching professional sports, she is submitting to me at that point. She is loving to me. Okay. That's how she loves me. That's an example of mutually submitting to one another. He continues on, Paul goes on and he says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife uh, loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of one body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And by the way, I think it's important. That you actually leave. Some people leave physically, but they don't leave emotionally. And sometimes it can even be negatively in the sense that our parents still have a hold of us emotionally. For this reason, you shall leave your father and mother and be united to your wife. He puts a priority on this relationship and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And anybody that's married knows that. But I'm talking about Christ. And the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And his wife must respect 
her husband. So, if our principal problem is our selfishness, how does that work? Well, I'll tell you how it works. I, you know, I, <clears throat> I counsel with people all the time, and I can almost give you the scenario. This is the way it goes when people really get in trouble. It starts off with selfishness. Always starts there. Every time. Somebody's selfish. Somebody's made a selfish decision. Somebody's just continually selfish. Uh, maybe both, usually both people are selfish. And from being selfish, what happens, the, the next step is you get, as, as Andrea talked about, maybe you get, con- or David talked about, maybe you get confronted. Or what's worse, maybe you get criticized. And you criticize, and then what do you do? You get defensive. Well, look at what you do, and look at what you don't do. And you begin to get upset, you begin to get angry, and then you start to think, well, you know what, he doesn't do this. And she doesn't do that, and you start to just dwell there. And the middle picture is, is not spiritual songs, uh, but it's it's more you done me wrong kind of thing. Somebody done somebody wrong song is what you're singing in your head. And you start to thinking that it's me that's been done wrong. It's me that's gotten the bad deal here. And it's me that's getting taken advantage of. And then you start to just disrespect. That's why God says in the Word, wives, respect your husbands. It's not an option. Respect them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Die for your husband. Die to your selfishness. Wife, respect your husband. Because you know what happens after that? After you start to think poorly, after you get to that point where you don't respect anymore, you stonewall. You emotionally shut down and you do this. I'm not doing anything else till, till he changes. till she changes. I'm done. That's it. That also leads to the popular uh, intellectual quote that I came up with, sin makes you stupid. Um, because that's when people usually do stupid things because they're deceived into thinking, I've done what I should have done. I've done my part. By the way, my three-year-old does that. When you get to that three-year-old mindset, you're in trouble. And you determine, I'm not doing anything else. I'm quitting and stopping until they get it right. That's not selfish, is it? This is not selfish, is it? No. You got what's what's happening? You've got two people that are being so selfish they can't take the next step. That's what happens. And that's when destruction occurs. That's why the Bible gives us these five aspects of marriage. The first one we saw was the power of submission. The power to submit. We see it in First chapter 5, verse 21 is, Paul says, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ, out of your love for Christ, out of your awe-inspiring reverence and fear in the positive sense. When he says fear, it means reverence of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do this because of Christ, what you've done me. Not because I feel it, not because it's fair, not because I like it, but because Christ, for what you have done for me. This is an act of worship. I am willing to give up. I'm willing to eat Mexican food again. I'm willing to watch another game. This world. How many? I remember my wife said, "How many games are there in the World Series anyway?" I thought the Rangers had already won, and she just kept watching with me. Submission is a beautiful thing when we can understand that we are doing this as an act of love. Is an act of love for Christ, is an act of love for one another. The priority, to make it a priority, as the Murphys talked about, over your job, over your 
father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your friends, your fun to say, I choose to prioritize this relationship, to love and respect them more than anyone else. And this is a choice. You do realize that when you got married and you made, you took these vows, we didn't take vows like this. I promise to love you as long as I feel like this, as long as you're this pretty, as long as you smell this good, as long as you're this sweet. No, you said for richer and for poor, in sickness and in health. That's what the real vows are. They're not about what you feel today. They're about what will occur in the future. And that's why God made a structure. A structure. It's just like the the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's not an inequality issue. It's not like, well, I pray God, the Father, but, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, they're kind of down here. I don't really talk to them a whole lot. You think God never refers, the Father never refers to the Son and the Spirit. They have different functions, but they're still God. And in a marriage, a man and a woman have different functions. And let me say this. Sometimes they're not the traditional mandates that we think in our mind. Man doesn't always take care of the money. That's not scriptural. Some of you men don't need to be taking care of the money. Your wife's got a finance degree or she's got an organizational skill that you don't even come close to having. You probably shouldn't know where the checkbook is. All right? So that's not what that means. It doesn't mean if you're really the man, you... You, you decide what's going on. You decide what, how, how the children are always to be disciplined. You know what? She might have a greater intuition. If she's spending more time, you, you probably need to listen to her. The structure is for this purpose. We are meant to talk together, to come together in degree, just as the, Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, as they communicate, as they work together. But when we come to that place where there has to be a decision made, and we've talked about it, and we've dialogued, and we've confronted each other. Submission is not like a confrontation, by the way. A good submission means that you will confront. You won't let people walk on you. That you will say what needs to be said. You will do it as unto the Lord. But you come to that place where spiritually and physically a decision has to be made. And I just can't come, we can't come up with one yet. Then the man should say, you know what? I, I want to do what's best for my family. Not what's best for me. But what's best for the family, what's best for the kingdom of God. That's what it's there for. That's why it exists. I'll give you an example. When we were praying about what we would do next, <clears throat> most of you know I had an opportunity in Atlanta to go and uh, be a, a pastor over there. And there was a uh, there was also the planting we'd be praying and talking about. My wife wasn't quite ready. And, and well, quite frankly, I, I didn't tell her this. And I don't even know if I've ever confessed this. But it was really pretty easy on me because I just think, well, she's not ready. You know, you can't go out your wife. Your wife needs to feel good about this. So I just kind of said, okay, we're not doing anything, which, by the way, I think is the right decision. Uh, but then she said, we came to that place where God spoke while we were there, and she said, I'm ready to do whatever God says. So you're going to have to make the call. And I remember thinking, I think I liked it better when she was making the choice. I mean, she didn't know she was making the choice. She's making the choice. Now i got to take a step of faith, and like she's looking at me. And I remember the, the horror. For the first time, I was scared. To take that step of faith, because you know why? Because now I was going to have to lead. I couldn't go, well, yeah, my wife, she's not ready. She's not ready. I had to go, uh, I'm not ready. I mean, that was the only thing. Or I had to say, I gotta, I'm got i going. Either God's called me or not. And that's, that's a perfect example 
of the structure and why God has provided it here in Ephesians chapter 5. The definition of marriage, as we read earlier, that we are to leave our father and mother. If you went back to Genesis chapter 3, that we are to cleave. We talked about this last year. It's the covenant aspect. That our, we are in a covenant relationship with God Almighty and our spouse. And a covenant is defined in this manner. It is a legal and spiritually binding agreement before God and another party. Uh, even in the Old Testament, it was always done publicly. It was done before. Matter of fact, they would uh, usually cut an animal open and they would walk through, through it and it would symbolize the covenant and it would say, thus is what's going to happen if we fulfill it and this is what happens if we don't fulfill the covenant. And so when people adopt the modern view today that, well, it's just a piece of paper, hey, let me tell you, that's never the way God who instituted, who created marriage, saw it. He never saw it as a piece of paper. It's much more than a piece of paper. Yes, it is to be a legal binding agreement between two parties here legally on this earth, and it is legally, so to speak, binding to God Almighty. It is much more than a piece of paper. It is a covenant agreement. It is being glued together. And then Jesus says, or then Paul says, the mystery of marriage. What does he mean by that? It is a profound mystery. The mystery is this, is that the primary purpose for marriage is it is supposed to be a picture of how Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the primary picture. It's supposed to refine us. Marriage, guess what? It's supposed to hurt. Because if you're selfish, you don't get away with it in marriage. You're going to get exposed at some point. As Martin Luther said, hey, marriage was much more refining than the monastery. Okay? Because I'm constantly being seen for who I really am. And having to deal with who I really am. It just makes itself come to the surface. So that's why I come back to that principal point, that selfishness is our principal issue. So, what does that look like? Well, many of you read the article and seen in the news these last, uh, this last week of how the, the tanker went down, uh, the Concordia, and uh, Nicole Serbel and her husband, Francis, were there, and there was one life jacket. And there was a decision to be made. And so Francis said, Nicole, I want you to take this life jacket. We're going to jump in. We're going to be okay. And so he took that jacket and he put it on her. He probably didn't say see you on it. Uh, and he put it on her and they jumped in the water. That was the last time he ever saw her. Now, many of you would say, you know what, I'd do that for my wife. I'd die for my I'd give her the life jacket. But let me ask you this. You have that decision every day to put on that life jacket and say, Honey, I'm going to help with the kids today. It's not my turn. I'm going to clean the house. Honey, I'm going to give you a break. Honey, I'm going to tell you I'm sorry, even when you don't think you're wrong. That's what it looks like to die and to give yourself as Christ gave himself for us. Jesus, who went to the cross, not because we were right, but because we were wrong. That's the whole principal reason he died. And that's what it looks like for a husband to love his wife. And when we love like that, submission just shouldn't be that big a deal. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that 
Even though we were sinners, you died for us. God, I pray for marriages here this morning, God, that are that are struggling, for families who need hope. God, I pray that you would use this time to speak to them through your word. You would encourage them and strengthen them. And Lord, I pray that today that we would recognize that we have been called to give to one another, to give respect and love, to give support and submission, to die just as you died for us. Pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and let us see as you see. That others might be drawn to you as they see how we love our wife, how we love our husband, even when it doesn't look like it's fair, even when it doesn't look like it's fun. Because you loved us in that way. And let us be an image, a mirror of how Christ loved the church. Lord, refine us and make us and mold us so that you might be praised and glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.